0: As we get started, uh, let me give you some kind of backstory of why I'm talking about this this morning. So, uh, the week of May 22nd was a challenging one. On the morning of May 24th, an 18 year old male walked into Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas, and opened fire, killing two teachers, and 19 little kids, and injuring many others. Within an hour, um, I heard about it went to news sources, social media, just reading. Um, there was lots of outcry, heartache, but I also saw many people writing and talking about how stricter gun laws wouldn't have helped. It seemed to me, um, so much talk about protect protecting gun rights seemed to me really insensitive and inappropriate. And I noticed quickly that a lot of the talk was from evangelical Christians. To me, this was just the latest of a series of times of the church seemingly getting it wrong. Just a few days earlier, a report had been released of sexual abuse and cover-up within the Southern Baptist Convention. People knew the report was coming out. They knew it was going to be bad. It was far worse. Around the same time, a similar report from Kanaka camps, a place we've sent our kids, came out of sexual abuse and again cover-up, where leaders were protecting the abusers, not the victims. Sadness, frustration, and most of all anger were my primary responses for those days. I wish I could say things have gotten less tense since then. How great would it be if our biggest disagreements were who had the best chicken sandwich maybe in heaven one day. But things have gotten worse. Things have gotten more heated. It wasn't the first time I had this thought, but I feel like I had it a lot that week in those days. And it was, at what point are we as the church doing more harm than good? I know some of you have wrestled with that. I know that we have friends who are no longer a part of this community in large part because of a question like that. And it's a a big question for us to wrestle with. Um, I love love history and I love studying church history. There there have been times in this last 2,000 years when the church was looked at in a positive light where the people may not have believed what those in the church believed, but they saw them as a, as a force of good, and they saw that their town, their village, their city was better because of these people. There's also been times when it's more of a negative response to the church where um, maybe the church was seen as irrelevant, but they, and maybe more apathy Um, But it was neither good nor bad. And then there have been times when the first thought people would have about the church has been a negative one. I think back to the earliest days when those in the church said to Rome, um, Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. Well, that uh, had a negative response to most Romans, and it led to persecution and to a lot of people being killed because of that. So there have been times when people have looked upon Christians in a negative light actually because those people were being faithful and trying to follow Jesus. There's also been times when the world has looked upon Christians in a negative light, not because they've been faithful, but because they've actually been in sin and needed repentance. Repentance. I feel like we've kind of for a while been in maybe that middle part of the neutral i feel like we're moving into a time where the view is much more negative and my fear is that it won't necessarily be because we are being faithful um, one of the things we are seeing we've been seeing for a little while is this politics becoming religion and that never ends well history. I read around this same time, I guess I was a glutton for punishment, but I read this article in The Atlantic called How Politics Poisoned the Evangelical Church. Here's an excerpt that's on the screen. Christianity has traditionally been seen as a stabilizing, even moderating influence on American life. In 1975, more than two-thirds of Americans expressed a great deal or quite a lot of confidence in the church, according to Gallup. And as of 1985, organized religion was the most revered institution in American life. Today, Gallup reports, just 37% of Americans have confidence in the church. This downward spiral owes principally to two phenomena. The constant stench of scandal, with megachurches and prominent leaders imploding on what seems like a weekly basis. And the growing perception that Christians are embracing extremist views. One rarely needs to read to the bottom of a poll to learn that the religious group most opposed to vaccines, most convinced that the 2020 presidential election was stolen, most inclined to subscribe to QAnon conspiracy theories, is white evangelicals. So, I ask the question again, at what point are we doing more harm than good? Um, when faced with the question, and again, I was facing I was being—I was allowing myself to be faced with the question. My temptation is to say, hey, "Forget this, I'm done." And again, I imagine there's some here in our community wrestling with that. Um, know that you are not alone, and I know that we also have friends and family who have decided that is the response. And uh, I don't judge. I really, really understand. Um, I, I think back to that week of May twenty-two. Uh, when I was having such a struggle. And it was at that time that this passage of scripture from Galatians mercifully entered my life. Um, on May 24th, the day of that shooting, uh, later that day Mandy texted me to see if I could preach this morning. And um, my first thought was I, I did not feel in a place to do that, but I decided to go to the lectionary. We, we do our sermons based on the lectionary, along with churches throughout the world. And to see what the passages were. And this Galatians passage was the, was the New Testament passage. And I was immediately drawn to it. It, uh, kind of like Jamin talked about last week, it helped to shift my perspective. It gave me some hope. And it caused me to ask, to, to continue to dig, to continue asking questions. Like, um, what was it that drew me to Jesus in the first place? And what was it that made me want to give my life to the church? And if I were to just strip away all this superfluous stuff, good, bad, ugly, layer by layer, what would I be left with? What would I be left with? In in the weeks since, I've decided that once again I'm not ready to throw it all away for me. There's been too much life change because of Jesus and his church. But if I'm going to stick with it, um, I want to really do it. I want to really capture what it is, recapture. And that requires some reimagining. I'm I'm grateful that Jamin's given me a couple of weeks to, to tackle some of this. And I'm glad that he's getting a break too, enjoying some vacation. Um, In the New Testament, we see two primary identities for God's people. The first is disciple. We've been invited to live life with Jesus and be his student or his disciple. And the second is family, that we've been invited to be a part of a family with other disciples, students of Jesus. So next Sunday, we're going to talk about what it means to be a student of Jesus. And this week, I want to talk about what it means to be. I think in this in this climate of division and also coming out mostly of COVID, where there was a lot of isolation, there was a lot of fear, we're just in a messy, messy and challenging time. And for me, what has given me some hope, and I'm still struggling, I'm still asking the questions, but has been coming back to Jesus and his church. So my goal this morning is not to discourage you from asking questions. I'm not going to tell you not to be angry. My hope with this week and next week is to encourage you not simply to hang in there, um, but to reclaim what it was that drew you to Jesus in the first place. So in the time that we got, I want to just look at this passage, and I want to just kind of point out three observations that have encouraged me when it comes to family. You know, when when we look at the New Testament and we think about church, it's not primarily an organization. It's not primarily a, a weekly worship service. What we see over and over again is this idea that church equals family. So number one I want to share is a healthy family is one where grace, compassion, and humility reign. A healthy family is one where grace, compassion, and humility reign. Here's what Paul says. Live creatively, friends. And I love just starting with that. I think that's what captured me. When I am bent out of shape, when um, I'm engaging in too many debates, when my heart is just um, really constricted, I am the opposite of creative, of living creatively. So it's a good reminder. Live creatively, friends. If someone falls into sin, forgivingly restore him, saving your critical comments for yourself. You might be needing forgiveness before the day's out. Right off the bat, Paul wants to remind his listeners that grace and apathy do not go together. Our tendency when we see someone making decisions that are harmful to themselves and to others is to to stay out of their business, to do nothing, right? Because... It's, um, what business is it mine? Uh, Is it of mine? It's awkward. And and doesn't Paul say, hey, you're not perfect either? Well, that's not actually what he says. He actually says no critical comments. In today's social media-driven world, I think that's sometimes all we know how to do is be critical. But Paul actually says no critical comments. You might be needing forgiveness before the day's out. He doesn't say... Uh, He actually says you are to go. You are to, what does he say? Forgivingly restore. Forgivingly restore. And yes, sometimes it's going to require some awkward conversations. But Paul is saying in a healthy family, we are in each other's business, so to speak. Because we know that the things, that sin doesn't do good things for us and to others. Uh, he says uh, Stoop down and reach out To those who are oppressed You know if I were to say um, If I were to ask you What completes Christ's law Your first thought would be Sharing burdens of those who are oppressed But that's what Paul says He says as we stoop down And reach out to those who are oppressed And share their burdens We are in fact completing Christ's law It's that big of a deal It's a defining mark of God's family And he says, if you think you're too good for that, you're badly deceived. So number one, a healthy family is one where grace, compassion, and humility reign. Number two, a healthy family is one where each one of us gives and receives. Paul says, make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you've been given. I think about make a careful exploration means I need to pause, I need to slow down, I need to be silent. Make a careful exploration of who you are. As I, as, I listened, as I read those words, it was like, how am I doing? No, really, how am I doing? How are you doing? Make a careful exploration of who you are and the work that you're doing, that you've been given. You know that you have been given work a healthy family is one that gives and receives that we are in a place where we give and receive and throughout the new testament it seems like paul thinks this in a way that we've all been given tasks we've all been given roles responsibilities one of the other images that he gives for the for the for the church is body there's this body of christ Each one's a different member. We play different roles. We're not all the same, but we all have a responsibility because when one part's not healthy, the whole thing's not healthy. But when everyone is doing, is living according to what God's given them, then the body's healthy. Have you ever asked, who am I responsible for in this family? Maybe it's one person. Maybe it's kids. Maybe it's someone, your neighbor. Maybe it's someone on a team that you're with, but who are you responsible for? He says, make a careful exploration of who you are and what you've been given, and then sink yourself into that. And then I love what he says next. He says, don't be impressed with yourself, right? What you're doing is important, but don't be impressed with yourself. Uh, It's critical, but don't be impressed with yourself. And don't compare yourself. Boy, we live in in an age where comparison is so easy, such a temptation because it's all around us. But sink yourself into the thing that God's given you. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your own life. There's that again. And he says, be very sure now, you who have been trained to a self-sufficient maturity that you enter into a generous common life with those who have trained you sharing all the good things that you have and experience self-sufficient maturity will and we'll come back to that next week but um, i love this phrase a generous common life that there's something common about our life and it's marked by generosity that the things that you've been given you're willingly sharing your your time your wealth your experiences what god's doing You're sharing it, and others are sharing it with you. A healthy family is one where everybody gives and receives. The third thing is, a healthy family is one where each one of us brings our entire selves to the table. A healthy family is one where each one of us brings our entire selves to the table. We show up when we're doing well. That's easy and we show up when we're not, that's hard, at least it is for me. When things are not going well, we bring our entire selves, because we know that we're loved, we know that this is the safe place, we can be vulnerable, we can be courageous, we can be our authentic selves, and again, we are in a time where... um, the way I've kind of pictured it in my own life is it is really easy for my soul to be in a withering place rather than a really healthy, thriving place. And I need to work on that, but I also need to, when it seems to be in a withering place, I need to be okay because I know I'm loving and accepted in this place. When we are working through some of these struggles and these questions, it's even more important not to isolate. I heard this. Um, scott sauls the pastor and i heard him say this isolation is a bad and sometimes devastating place to work out hurt regret and fear i can't emphasize enough our need to struggle in community when we struggle struggle isn't bad but it can be really dangerous in isolation We experience that when we think we're alone with our questions when we think we're wrong for our questions. God doesn't like it. Um, God looks down on us, or people in our church will look down on us. You gotta know that you're not alone, and we've got to um, go to community with our struggle, not isolate. Let's look at what Paul says here. Don't be misled. No one makes a fool of God. What a person plants, he will harvest. The person who plants selfishness ignoring the needs of others ignoring god harvests a crop of weeds all he'll have to show for his life is weeds but the one who plants in response to god letting god's spirit do the growth work in him harvests a crop of real life eternal life what a person plants he harvest um, so what a person plants he harvests i'm sure Most of us have at least a little bit of experience with gardening. What a person plants, he will harvest. And here's the thing. What a person harvests will impact all of us. It doesn't just impact you. What a person harvests impacts all of us. And he says, um, he talks about weeds, he talks about harvest. Um, We we were out of town for two and a half, three weeks. And the day before, we went out of town. I've got just a little... Little garden of herbs and tomatoes and I weeded, right? I weeded the day before I left. I come back two and a half, three weeks later there's some weeds. There's a lot of weeds and so I have to be diligent the day I get back to get rid of those weeds because what happens if I let the weeds if I don't take care of the weeds? Chokes the life out of my good herbs and tomatoes, right? It will literally choke the life out of And uh, Paul uses that analogy in our life that um, we can cultivate certain things and that will lead to a certain kind of um, outcome. And how, what's he saying here? It's, it's uh, don't be misled. No one makes a fool of God. What a person plants, he will harvest. But the person who plants selfishness, that's what he chooses to go after, selfishness. And he defines that, ignoring the needs of God, of others and ignoring God, Harvests a crop of weeds. All he'll have to show is weeds, and that will impact those around you. But the one who plants in response to God—and I like how he defines this—letting God's Spirit do the growth work. So it's not all up to you to do it. It's responding to God. Harvests a crop of real life, eternal life. I, I I think that's really critical. When I am isolated, when I am thinking I'm the only one struggling, I don't really think about other people honestly. Um, I'm kind of, kind of hold in thinking about me, and there are times when that's going to happen, but I need to expand my perspective, I need to expand my mind in that moment and recognize there are others hurting, there are others um, going through similar things, and maybe we actually need to be there for one another, and that cultivates something. Healthy inside of me, and hopefully inside of the person I'm with. In light of all these three things, um, let's look at these last couple of verses. This is what got me. So let's not allow ourselves to get fatigued doing good. Fatigue um, is a a good word for these months, these weeks, these years. Fatigue. Let's not allow ourselves to get fatigued doing good, because at the right time we will harvest a good crop if we don't give up or quit. Right now, therefore, every time we get the chance, let us work for the benefit of all, starting with the people closest to us in the community of faith. If you're struggling, I don't judge, I understand, but I encourage you to press in. I encourage you to ask the questions, to dig deeper, and to do it with somebody. To recognize that you're not alone in your struggles. And I encourage you, I pray for you, and pray for us all that we don't give up hope. I, I talked about church history, these times when how the world has looked at, at the church. One of the things that's interesting is those times when people saw the church in a positive light were the times when the church was family who then practiced hospitality by inviting people outside to come inside and experience that family that not perfect that sometimes messy but that bound together through anything family and that is actually more than anything else what causes people to look at the church in a positive light after all Jesus said that the world will know That we are his disciples, not by how much scripture we know, not by all the the acts of um, mercy and justice we do. It's by the love that we show one another. That's such a good reminder. It's such a simple thing, right? Complex at times, messy at times, but it's a simple thing. We show up. We are committed to one another through the goods and the bad and we go on the journey together that's what we're called to do that's what we're called to do and i am reminded of all the the times the ups and downs in my own life and where jesus was and where people were that loved me no matter what so i encourage you with that let's pray